Welcome to CMO Confidential, the podcast that takes you inside the drama, decisions, and choices that go with being the head of marketing. Hosted by five-time CMO, Mike Linton. Welcome marketers, advertisers, and those who love them to Chief Marketing Officer Confidential. CMO Confidential is a program that takes you inside the drama, the decisions, and the politics that go with being the head of marketing at any company in what is one of the most scrutinized jobs in the executive suite. I'm Mike Linton, the former Chief Marketing Officer of Best Buy, eBay, Farmers Insurance, and Ancestry.com, here today with my guest, Tom Kirk, known universally as TK. (laughs) TK is a very rare breed indeed. He's been at one agency for over 40 years. Yes, that's right, one agency for over 40 years. He started his career at Needham Harper, and when Needham Harper merged with BBDO and DDB to form Omnicon, easy for anybody to say, TK's agency left the merger to remain independent and formed RPA. He has been the chief client officer there for a number of years, and full disclosure, we worked together at Farmers. Uh, And to borrow from some of those commercials, TK knows a thing or two because he's seen a thing or two. Welcome. Welcome, TK. Thank you, Mr. Linton. It is great to see you. And yes, those are some fun days. I think we had a lot of fun together. We did some great work. And and, uh, yeah, I'm very proud of all that. Very proud of that. Won a couple of Effies, too, which was just uh, icing on the cake. Yeah. So. Today's topic is the second on a theme that you've seen earlier, and we're talking about what your agency wants to tell you but won't. And so let's jump right in with a man who's seen almost all of it from his seat. The first question, TK, I'm assuming there's a whole lot of things agencies really want to tell their clients, but they won't. And and obviously, it's a theme of the show. But why is that? Why won't agencies talk to clients and tell them? What's good for them? Well, let me frame that a little bit this way, Mike, from the standpoint of the ability to have uh, frank, open, and candid conversations both ways, agency to client and back, is really, in my mind, um, one of the hallmarks of a quality relationship. It's one of the distinguishing characteristics of a good relationship. but what does it take in order? And I believe, Mike, that you know we had that relationship. You and I had that relationship. Yeah, on we, we could go to lunch and or go into your office or whatever and have a pretty candid conversation. But what does it take? And we knew the and we, we knew the cone of silence was on all the time too. It, exactly. And so, so when I think about all of the client relationships I've had over my career, which has been a lot of clients, and I've had some great relationships. The unifying theme is when there's a when there's mutual trust and respect. You know, when 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 I can tr- when I trust you, and I respect you know the job that you do, and I know that to your point the cone of silence, but I know that you're not. There's going to be no repercussion. You know, when I come to you and say, Mike, I really feel like, you know, w- we need to talk about this because the work will be better, or the business will be better, or whatever it is. Um, but I know that I, that, that when I have that conversation with you, it's not going to damage our relationship, even if you don't agree with me, you know, but at least we can have an open, candid conversation. And when you have that kind of trust in each other, and it's a two-way street, 
then it allows for for candid conversations. And believe me, that is so necessary, you know, because otherwise there's stuff going on, you know, maybe within the agency or maybe within the client organization or maybe within the relationship itself. And if they don't get resolved or those it's not aired, then there's no way to correct any problems. Hey, so Tom or TK, tell me what percent of clients that you've dealt with all your years would you say you had a really great relationship with? Uh, well, I will say this, and, and I've said this before to many people, I've been really blessed. I mean, I've had some great client relationships over, over my time, some, some that I look very fondly on. Uh, the percentage of great, and again, you know, yeah. great is a high standard. Great would probably be 25 percent, 40, you know, 30. That's a, that's a good number. It is. You know, when you consider the, the amount of clients that I have worked with, but I've been fortunate. You know, I've had I've had good clients and we've been able to establish a, a good relationship with one another. And it really honestly goes to trust and respect. So let's say you have 30 percent of the clients that are great. How do you, how do agencies think about clients? Because do they bucket them into types like great, good, not so good, hellacious or whatever? Um, how, how do you kind of lay out the client grouping? Because obviously all your clients aren't great and some of them are super painful probably. How do you think about them? Can you give, can you paint a landscape for our listeners about how the agency might see the client? Well, I'm sure I'm sure that agencies are different on the on this topic um, with regards to our agency. You know, uh, we're independent, so we're able to make decisions that we believe are in our client's best best interest and in the agency's best interest. And so by not having to answer to shareholders and things like that allows us to to make hard decisions that sometimes, you know, aren't aren't going to be necessarily financially rewarding for us meaning we will turn down new business. You know, so if a client uh, has reached out to us uh, to pitch their business, but we know that from a reputation standpoint, it's either a serial reviewer, you know, and they just review every, you know, three or four years or, you know, whatever, you know, or we've just, the stories are, this is not a good client. They don't treat their people well. They don't treat the agency well. You know, if there are things that we know going in are going to be problematic, then we'll pass on it. And even when there sometimes have been big clients, you know, but there's been one and I will not give any names on this to be inappropriate, but there's been one that was kind of a serial reviewer. And when the consultant called and said, hey, they want to talk to RPA. And I said, well, that's very flattering, but we're not interested. And the the consultant was like, why? What are you talking about? I said, because advertising is not their problem. You know, the reason they're in this serial review mode is they keep thinking advertising is going to solve the problem and advertising is not their problem. The business is a little antiquated, you know, and it's going to go away. So we'd rather not invest our time and energies in something where we can't be a helpful solution to what their problem is. But but we beyond that, we tend to we don't really bucket clients necessarily from a, a category standpoint. You no. know, we do try to line up and match. It's skill sets within different departments, different groups that might have something that's similar in that skill set, whether it's been a retail business or a, you know, or a fast food business or something. Then we try to line up similar skills for that. But makes a lot makes a lot of sense. Tell, you know, just so our, our listeners know, 
Tell, just give us a, a, a 30 seconds on RPA and the independent agency model versus non-independent. Well, um, we've been independent, as you said, from the beginning, you know, when the merger with Omnicom happened. And we've always felt like and we've always operated from the standpoint of we believe that being independent allows us to only care about the client's business and our business. And we that means empl employee owned, right? Independent is employee owned in this case, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. So we can make decisions that we believe are in the best interest of our client without them having to be the best interest in our shareholders as a public company. So, you know, we just think it's a better model. And, you know, we've, we've survived very well under that. We, you know, we're, we're one of the largest independents in the country. And certainly, the, I think the largest in Los Angeles. But um, and, you know, it's a model that we're comfortable with, and allows us to treat our people the way we think they should be treated. Thank you for that. So, one of the things that I, you know, I, I've always thought, and I think you, you you would agree with this. One of the most obviously, you come to an agency and you want all of that the agency has to offer. But in a case of like RPA, creativity is going to be one of the most important, if not the you know theme only, the, the key reason you come to an agency. But then you look at the creative that comes out of the various client relationships. Uh, what are things that clients do that help the creative or don't help the creative? Well, you know, if you, I think, to be honest, I mean, I think us being honest is good, right? That's what yeah, you want. I thought that was our whole relationship, TK. <laughs> it, it, oh. it, it is. It still is. <laughs> Um, I think what inhibits, uh, first off, creativity should be considered a brand asset. You know, creative creative is a competitive advantage. You know, what a great agency can do is bring to a client, you know, creativity and advertising that breaks through, cuts through, connects to the customer, all that stuff. And it is a brand asset. And certainly if you have a campaign like, for example, the farmer's campaign that builds over time and that has you know, kind of become iconic in the category, that, you know, that's an asset. But what is it that inhibits creativity? Because anyway, I would say there has been a trend that has been developing for probably 25, 30 years. And there's, I think, a good reason for it, although it's not healthy. And that is the notion of consensus building. If you look at what the way, I mean, business is so competitive. And client organizations, you know, some of your recent uh, podcasts have been talking about the longevity of a CMO and the shelf life of a CMO. And you look at how competitive that job is. And so you can kind of understand why they want to make sure that everybody in the organization is on board with whatever you're going to be doing. Unfortunately, you know, when you when you do that, you're going to dull the creative product. Uh, you know, there's the, the famous story about, you know, a a committee was hired to design a horse. And so the committee went away and they all thought about it and they all provided their input. And here's what we need. And everybody had a voice and they came back and what they had developed was a camel. I agree with this. And I will say my thing is democracy is really bad for brands and it's horrible for the creative because yeah. if you are if, if you are letting everybody vote, those voters will sand off every edge, right? Every edge of interesting part of creative, and you could see that. At, at least I think I can see that all over a ton of the advertising done today, yeah. uh, where it is 
It is safe. It, it surely right. has a lot of voters and consumers aren't going to remember it at all. Uh, and, and, and that's the problem. You know, when you have created something that is, to your word, safe, which I agree with, uh, it, it, it's only safe within the walls of the, of the company. It's not safe in the marketplace. If you want to be successful in the marketplace, be brave. Take, I, you know, have courage. I agree with that. So you have these CMOs in seat. Gosh, I've been in, I guess, a, a number of them. And you, you do have all these people that want to vote. You do have the companies that the most passionate consumer of your marketing is usually inside your company. What advice would you give to CMOs on how to get the creative free? Like, you know, you've watched a ton of this. There's best practice. There's less best practice. Tell us what you think. When you say, uh, get, you said get the creative free. What do you, what? Wait, so that you actually keep the edges on creative. Because oh. you see that you see bad structure, bad voting, where every every layer sees it brand new and then then changes it, which rounds off every edge. Uh what, what's the, what's some best practices to get the best creative out there? Well, I've, I've only had one client that's ever said this to me, but it was like remarkable. And he said, and he would say this frequently when we'd show him an ad or whatever, he'd say, well, I don't like it, but I'm not, I'm paying you to develop this work. So, you know, we're going to do it. We'll go forward with it. And if it doesn't work, then, you know, you and I will have a conversation, but, you know, I'm, I'm going to go forward with it. That was a while ago, and he had strength to do that. But if you want to get great creative, you've got to take the handcuffs off of your agency. You've got to trust that they have your best interest at heart. You, know, you think about it, the, an agency is the extension of a client's marketing department. We have, we, sometimes we have more people thinking about your business on a day-in and day-out basis than what the client organization has the ability to do on, on their end. Because their department may not be that big, you know? So we have people, that's all we're doing is thinking about your business from a standpoint of how do we connect to the customer? So, you know, if you want to unleash it, give them, uh, you know, give them more room, you know, don't, don't dull it with, uh, you know, with, with trying to come in with, 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 with what, you know, the organization wants to hear. So you give them room to be creative. What else do people give them? Because there's lots of business results, there's financials, there's all kinds of research, there's all kinds of input you make on the on the creative, you know, there's testing you could do. Tell us any any best practices there you would share with our listeners. Well, yeah, and I, I do think that research is important. I think that you can, um, and I think you had one with, the, was it Jeff Sieberts that talked about is yeah. uh, measurement, you know, killing marketing today? Yeah. And, and the answer to that is yes. You know, but it doesn't mean the measurement is bad or that research is bad. We need it. You know, we, we want that kind of information. You know, we, we do a lot of research within the agency for our clients because we want that perspective and we need that. You know, but at some point, uh, you, need, uh, you, you need to not, you need to uh, not put the ha uh, hands of decision making in the hands of, of clients. I mean, I'm sorry, in the hands of consumers. You take accountability, you know, yourself and within your agency, who should be the experts at understanding what's going to communicate and what's going to break through. I agree with this. My, my thing is, research can only measure; it can't create. And and a lot of times, you have to let some creative stuff into the market to measure it. And if you try and measure it before it gets out, 
you will sand off all the creative edges and the consumer will tell you it sucks. And, um, and then you will lose, you will lose the idea because you'll keep watering it down. I, I want to flip this over to marketing is the least consistently structured and ex- different, least consistent set of expectations in the C-suite, at least in my opinion. So it has a lot of structures that probably interface with the agency. Tell us about structures within the client organization and any recommendations for how to get the best out of an agency within that marketing structure. Well, I, I would say, uh, Mike, that silos are great for storing grain. <laughs> you know, so if you, are, you know, if you need to store some grain, build a big silo. They're terrible at fostering collaboration. But a lot of client organizations are siloed. And, you know, sometimes departments that should be talking to one another frequently don't even like each other. You know, I'm I'm always shocked at how in a lot of organizations, marketing and sales don't get along. You know, they're kind of at odds with one another. But if if you want to foster collaboration, open it up, create access, allow your agency to build relationships across your organization. You know, you, you you might be surprised that distribution might have an idea for something that they think is a competitive advantage that the agency gets turned on by. I, I want to push. On, I want to push on this a little bit because you're talking about uh, collaboration and access with a really broad aperture. You're not talking about it just within the marketing department. You're saying no. let the agency feel and understand the whole company, go wherever it wants. You're not saying let the whole company uh, putting words in your mouth. You're not saying let the whole company vote on the advertising. No, but no. you're you're saying let the company input to the agency or let them. You know, like we would take you guys to the claims org and everything else, for example, yeah. to see what see how claims handled things uh, when we were at Farmers. But uh, and that collaboration is it can't all go through one agency marketing person, right? Or yeah. or small group. No, I, I think just the idea there, Mike, is to just to allow for access, you know, and some agencies might not, you know, want to take advantage of that. We do. You know, we, we want to meet with people throughout the organization in all of the different areas, you know, because, again, you never know where an idea might come from. You, you know, you never know where a creative stimulus might come from. But also, you know, when we when you when you build a relationship and I thought you were particularly uh, adept at doing this. I'm glad but, you're on this show, Tom. But, <laughs> but no, when you build a relationship across channels and then you come out with a new advertising campaign and you, you need the, the, the company to get on board, you know, uh, you know, the work that you did originally when we lost a lot of the farmers work to get the entire organization to buy into it is what helps to really put that brand building in hyperdrive. Because it's not happening just on television or just on in, on the internet, you know, it's happening when the phone rings, at, you know, in the call center. I mean, it's happening everywhere, and you know, and, and you're so you're leveraging the strength of the whole, whole organization to build your brand. So, and when so the, one, yeah, let me put a little quick story in this week when we did the uh, we've seen a thing or two. We know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. We actually crowdsourced those from the claims and the agents. Right. Claims department and the agents that we would right. get a couple hundred entries, and then we'd give any ones that cleared legal to the to the creative team, who then would run it like the NCAA basketball tournament, get the top like 
X amount and whittled them down to four that we were pretty sure were going to work and what was a nine month process. But if your claim or if your story got picked, we flew you to a shoot. So all those ideas were crowdsourced at the time and brought a lot of whimsy and humor and, uh, and the creators were into it, man. I, they were into it. Well, absolutely, um, Mike. That's a great example. You know, and even though we kind of pushed them beyond maybe what the reality was of that exact claim, but it came from the essence of that claim, there was an authenticity to it. You know, I mean, people could relate because, you know, it wasn't all fabricated. You know, there was an, an, an element of truth that came from it because it, it did happen. And it, was and it, it had to, legal nature. It had to be. It had to have happened. And the cause of the claim, the claim had to have been settled and all that other stuff, public service announcement and why I almost always have lawyers in all my meetings. Um, OK, so that is really good on structure. I, I'm sure you've seen some bad structures. And also when a CMO leaves, there's probably a whole bunch of angst that happens at the agency. How should a company handle a CMO leaving? And, you know, how, how does the agency look at that? You mean besides fear and trembling? Yes, besides fear oh, and trembling. Oh, besides and, that. Okay, uh, well. Scotch, yes. <laughs> um, I mean, obviously, over the course of 40 years, I've had a lot of different CMOs come and go. Um, they don't all, not every CMO that comes in. Matter of fact, we've had probably the majority of times when a, a new CMO has come in, we have not lost the business. We've been able to retain the business. Not always. There are times when a CMO comes in and that's the change they want to make. I think they're putting a bullseye on their back when they do that, because I think it was uh, a recent uh, 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 podcast you had. It may have been with Jeff Secrets again about, you know, when you fire the agency, you are saying that advertising was the problem. Yeah. You know, so you better come up with something that's going to be better. And if advertising wasn't the problem, you know, you're just going to repeat. But when a new CMO comes in, we do we do everything we can from an onboarding standpoint to give that person incredible background in terms of the history of, of you know, uh, where the relationship was, where the advertising has been historically, why you know, and give kind of all the credentialization to it so that the CMO has an understanding about where this came from. The agency has a tremendous treasure chest of historical data on a company. You know, so if, if you come in as a new CMO and you establish a relationship with your agency, you, you know, they're going to know what has happened, what worked, what didn't work. You know, they're going to know where some of the you know, some of the issues are within the organization. They can be a, a real ally to you. You know, so from our standpoint, you know, we're always sad to see the a former CMO leave, you know, but it doesn't mean that we're going to lose the business. You know, I mean, if if we have a good relationship within the organization and sometimes that means it extends beyond just the marketing department, yeah. you know, then we're on we're on more solid ground. But, um, you know, I. I think that the worst mistake an incoming CMO could make would be to switch the agencies, at least right away. Yes, I've, saying, ne I've, I've never done that because I do think it, it just highlights the fact that the advertising is going to solve whatever business problem is out there. And I, only if I really think that's the case would I do yeah. it. I mean, give them a chance, give them a chance. You know, I mean, maybe you maybe maybe from a personality standpoint, you just don't jive and you just can't you just feel like you can't work together. If that's the case, you can always change agencies, you know, but 
let both sides have a chance to see what can work because it's probably going to be in your best interest to retain them. So let's let's go. What's the best advice you've ever received from a client? We'll flip the tables a little bit. Well, ironically, uh, and you may go, wow, I was looking for something deeper and bigger. But <laughs> pro- probably the best advice I got, seriously, was when a client explained to me, hey, you know, Tom, I've got a lot more jobs that I do besides approve the advertising. So if it takes a few extra days for us to get back to you with comments or whatever, we got a few other, like 20 other things that we're trying to manage at that time. And I... I heard that and I listened to that and I came back and I brought that message back to the creative department and never, and, you know, and people kind of went, you know, you're right. So, because believe me, when you are in, on the agency side, when you, when you're trying to hit a deadline, you know, and you're waiting and, you know, maybe the schedule called for the client to give you feedback in, you know, four days and it's now been a week and four days and you're like, what's going on? You know, if you can get people to calm down and relax a little bit, you know, and not be angry, you know, then you move forward. And so ironically enough, that was some of the best advice I ever got from a client. That's that's helpful. Thank you. So if you could tell all your clients one thing, just one thing to keep in mind, what would that be? Wow. Well, can I tell 20 uh, different clients, 20 different things, but just no, one? But no, just one. just one. Good, good try, okay. Tom. You know, I would. <laughs> a true agency answer. <laughs> I would say that create the creative process takes time and give it time. You know, if you want great work, give it time. Don't don't rush it. Don't get impatient. You know, give it time. There's a great, great story from a from a one of a favorite books of mine called Orbiting the Giant Hairball, which should get you to want to read anything. <laughs> and this is the story of of a man who bought a dairy farm. He was a city slicker. He bought a dairy farm and he came out. He wanted to look at his investment and all the cows were out in the pasture eating. And he got he furious. And he said to the far, farmer, you know, who's the foreman, he said, what's going on? These are dairy cows. I want them to be they should be milking. And he said, well, first they have to create milk and it takes time. And what they're doing right now, grazing and eating is going to make milk. So we have to give this process time so that you can get what you're after. And I laughed at that story. It's written by a, a former creative director from Hallmark Cards because it's so true. You know, sometimes, sometimes you can get great creative work by saying, you know what? Show me what you got in a week. And sometimes that happens, you know, but more often give it time to, to marinate a little bit. Okay, I'm going to hang on this. Move on from the cow analogy, but I'm sure that's going to be a big hit cow analogy and the grass. So funniest story you can share. <laughs> oh boy. You really want to get me in trouble, don't you? Is I that, do. Is, I do. Is, is that part of it? TK, right, I'll, absolutely. I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a, a funny story and I'll try to do it quickly, which you know is challenging for me. And I'm going to go back in the time machine a little bit. So in, in 1988, Wayne Gretzky, was traded from the Edmonton Oilers to the Los Angeles Kings, which if your viewers don't know, those are both hockey clubs. And Wayne Gretzky at that time, and still to this day, was considered the greatest player to ever play hockey. Well, you know, being in Los Angeles and being in marketing in Los Angeles, I knew that LA is a star town. And I just knew that Wayne Gretzky was going to make the Kings relevant. 
and that he was going to be, you know, dynamic. Now, I had I grew up in Texas. I had never been to a hockey game, but I, from a marketing standpoint, I knew that he would be a big hit. So the news was announced uh, on the evening news on, let's call it a Tuesday. At eight o'clock on Wednesday morning, I called my you know, sales rep at the organ- uh, California Sports Organization. And I said, hey, you know, Mike, how can my, my client get involved with the Kings? And he said, oh, well, gosh, we a sponsorship program. And he started going at eight o'clock in the morning, starts going through, you know, what that was. And, you know, it'd be a dasher board. And he goes through all this stuff. I'm like, time out. What's a dasher board? Yeah. You know, so so he explains to me what a dashboard is, and ironically, and a dashboard all, is the thing right around the arena that keeps the puck and the people in the arena. Exactly, so, and, yeah. and it's 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 like signage, you know. Yeah. And so, but when you looked at, and this is just this part cracked me up. The Kings were getting about four to five thousand people, maybe, at every game, and all of the dashboards that they had sold were within the middle part of the arena. And so when I asked him, I said, well, my, you know, he said, all right, you know, here's the sponsorship, two dashboards. And I said, he said, where do you want them? And I said, well, I don't care about 5,000 people in the arena. I want to see the replays, you know, that are going to be broadcast on sports every night. Oh, well, let's put them behind the goal, which I was stunned to learn that that behind somebody else hadn't grabbed that up already. Right. So we now we've got the best location on the ice. We've got better. So I said, all right, well, let me just call my client and and you know, get this approved. And he by now it's 830 or 845. And he's like, Tom, if you hang up. First off, the phones, you won't even be able to get back in. And if you do, this will this will be sold. I mean, the, now the phones are ringing off the hook. So I said, all right. We'll take it. So he said, all right, I'm going to shoot you a contract. Blah, 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 blah. So I agreed to this sponsorship without client approval. Um. So my client was on vacation at the time. He came back about three days after this. And this was a client who um, I didn't realize that he was not a sports fan. But uh, I, I was so excited to tell him, you know, that we just landed this amazing sponsorship. And I said, you know, you know, Bill, Wayne Gretzky was traded to the Kings. We got the we got the <laughs> sponsorship of all sponsorships. And he goes. That's great. Let me think about it. I said, well, you own it. He's like, first off, who's Wayne Gretzky? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. And, you know, Bill was classic at saying, you know, if it works, great. If it doesn't, we'll talk. Well, Gretzky steps foot on the ice. The next day, it's on Today Show. It's on Good Morning America. It's all over Sports Center. It's it's on every news out. I mean, it's huge news, right? So he calls me and he says, Hey, can you get us footage of that? Because, you know, uh, we've got a board meeting coming up, you know, in, in three days. I'd love to show this at the board meeting. And I said, no problem. Absolutely. I said, but Bill, I just have one question. Do we have to talk? I mean, do we have to have a conversation? <laughs> He's like, no, we're good. We're good. clever. Hey, uh, TK, we're almost out of time. So uh, any last practical advice for our listeners that we haven't talked about? I mean, I, th- I think the one thing that I would really, uh, from a, an advice standpoint, is honestly is to be brave, have take have courage, you know, take risks, because today's com- business environment is so competitive, you, you know, that if you're not doing something that's really going to stand out, something that's going to really connect to your audience, it's just all water, you know. So 
have the courage to take risk. I mean, if you're only going to be in the job for 18 to 20 months anyway, <laughs> you might as well swing for the fences every now and then, because that may be your best chance of, of you know, staying relevant. But we love clients. Honestly, your agency is your biggest supporter. You know, I mean, it, it, when we succeed, when you succeed and just remember that, you know, because we have a vested interest in you succeeding. Well, thank you, TK. And thanks to all our listeners for tuning in to CMO Confidential. Look for our other shows, which drop once a week and are available on Spotify, uh, YouTube, and SoundCloud. They include Why the Short Shelf Life of CMOs, uh, Parts 1, and upcoming the B2B edition. Is the CMO species headed for extinction? And how venture capital really thinks about marketing. Hint. A lot of times, venture capital doesn't think about marketing at all. Hey, all you marketers, stay safe out there. This is Mike Linton signing off from CMO Confidential, and thank you, TK. Thank you, Mike. This episode of CMO Confidential is produced and sponsored by Adcom, one of the premier integrated marketing and advertising agencies. Adcom works with mid-market companies to create measurable returns. With 30-plus years' experience, Adcom partners to lead innovative strategy, creative, media, and analytics for growth-oriented brands that want to differentiate themselves in a crowded field. Working in B2B, B2C, healthcare, financial services, transportation, building products, and consumer goods, Adcom leverages unique internal and external insights to create dynamic and lasting brands ready to maximize their market position. For more information, visit us at engageadcom.com. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. Great careers are forged out of great relationships. Your success, whatever your field, relies and thrives on the support and insights of others. I'm Andy Lapata, an author and speaker on the power of professional relationships. In the Connected Leadership podcast, I have the privilege of interviewing people from around the world to understand the relationships that have made a difference on their journey and how their insights can help you. From Nobel Prize winners to Olympians, from NASA astronauts to peace campaigners, my guests have shared some captivating moments from their lives and careers. Combined with experts from leading universities, cutting-edge authors and giants of business, the Connected Leadership podcast aims to inspire, educate and entertain. 